0: They talked to this professor who was the first scientist to study flow states and research them for more than 40 years and talked about how there are three key factors which you need to get into a flow state of thinking on things. And so first, you need to choose a single goal. Flow takes all of your mental energy and it's deployed deliberately in one direction, not like saying, oh, I'll try to do a couple things at once. Secondly, the goal needs to be meaningful to you. You can't flow into a goal that you don't care about. It has to be something that you actually care to complete. And then third, it helps if you're doing something that is at the edge of your abilities. So like if you're rock climbing, it's a slightly higher or more difficult rock to grab if it's just slightly, slightly difficult and kind of forces you to think. And I thought that particular section of the article was interesting because it reminds me of when you start working on a coding problem that- Mm. Is particularly difficult, and suddenly you're just like, Ooh, I'm just gonna get in on this, and, and you are look up, and it's three hours later, but you solved the coding problem.
1: Stop overpaying for big tech cloud. Try Vulture instead. Vulture offers powerful cloud compute and bare metal at a fraction of the cost. Visit Vulture. V-U-L-T-R dot slash stack to redeem $100 in credit today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, full team edition, home team edition. Hello, everybody.
2: Hi. Hi.
1: I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. I'm joined, as I often am, by Cassidy and Ciara and Ryan. And today we have a very fun article, maybe not so fun. We have an interesting article. I think all of us feel we can relate to. Ryan, you shared this link. You want to
3: cue it up? So it is about how we've sort of created this, this world that has stolen our attention. It's not just a lack of discipline where we're you know, getting every notification, checking our phones. It's, it's the whole world around us that ruins us.
2: Mm. And
3: I thought that was interesting. Done a little research on attention. Some friends of mine have done some research on it too. So it's very much in the uh, the problem space that I'm thinking about.
1: So you mean not just the things that I kind of associate with attention, which is like, oh, I'm watching 75, 10 second TikToks in a row. And then TikTok tells me, like, you should probably take a break. <laughs> but also, like, the Netflixes right. of the world. And I do, there's like a famous quote from Reed Hastings, who's like, our biggest competitor is sleep. Like, when people go to sleep, they can't watch Netflix. So, like, we're just here for your attention, as much of your attention
3: as you'll give us. I think one of the uh, the defining moments of the article was when he's at Graceland with his
0: nephew? Godson or something. Yeah. yeah.
3: And there's somebody next to him looking at this iPad tour thing. And they're like, oh, wow. You can, If you move the iPad left, you can look at the left part of the jungle room. If you move right, you can <laughs> look at the jungle room. And he leans over and he's like, you're in the jungle room. You can just look up at the jungle room they're in the metaverse man why do they need to be in the real world
2: was the article saying like there's things other than like handheld technology and like laptops and stuff like that that are taking our attention because i've always been under the impression that it's technology that's totally ruined everyone's ability to really pay attention and focus like Maybe we used to be able to. We're living in a world that is designed to take our focus
0: and everybody is competing for our focus.
2: Mm. And that
0: was the main premise. And and there was a point where the author spoke with this doctor and, and was like, okay, if you were to design some kind of world that was meant to like degrade the brain and take everybody's focus, what would you do? And he was just like, we're doing it now. I wouldn't have to design anything because oh, that's wow. what's going on right now. And And so the author at one point took some sabbatical trip, like a three-month trip to Providence, Rhode Island. Wasn't able to use any phones or or laptops or electronics or anything and experienced actual withdrawal at first, but then over time felt his focus get better and was able to write more and and think more and and actually focus on things more. It, It was really, really interesting. And they talked to this professor who was the first scientist to study flow states and research them for more than 40 years and Mm. talked about how there are three key factors which you need to get into a flow state of thinking on things. And so first, you need to choose a single goal. Flow takes all of your mental energy and it's deployed deliberately in one direction, not like saying, oh, I'll try to do a couple things at once. Secondly, the goal needs to be meaningful to you. You can't flow into a goal that you don't care about. It has to be something that you actually care to complete. And then third, it helps if you're doing something that is at the edge of your abilities. So like if you're rock climbing, it's a slightly higher or more difficult rock to grab if it's just slightly, slightly difficult and kind of forces you to think. And I thought that particular section of the article was interesting because it reminds me of when you start working on a coding problem that... Mm is particularly difficult and suddenly you're just like, ooh, I'm just going to get in on this and, and you are look up and it's three hours later, but you solved the coding problem.
3: The whole flow state thing, I think one of the people he talked to, a Google engineer, talked about it as more of a systemic issue as like the food, the sleep, the stress, those are all things that wear down your ability mm-hmm. to have attention. So you're not able to kind of tune out the billboards on the highway or whatever.
1: I mean, another thing that I think has really changed our ability to focus in is that we live in a world of like continuous news and opinion that's updating every five Mm -hmm. minutes. And so a hundred years ago, my grandfather was my age. Like the newspaper came out twice a day. There was three TV stations and there was radio or whatever. But now it's like, well, at any conceivable minute, I should probably check Twitter to see if something new happened because it might've happened somewhere in the world. And that, it's pretty difficult to square that with like, well, I'm going to take three hours to just focus now. But yeah, there's a lot of value, I think, lost when people don't go into those flow states where they're struggling with a problem. And this is something actually we talked about on like a really early episode with Paul and Sarah, the difference between distress and eustress. And eustress is like when you're like, I'm working on a problem, but I feel I can solve it. And so it's kind of anxiety provoking, but it's also kind of like there's a positive emotion of like when i get through this there's going to be a payoff or if you do get through it there's a big payoff and so you know 3 hours of coding and then coming away with something that works is very rewarding
2: i always think about as an individual how can i offset this because i don't really have the ability at this point to just go to the middle of nowhere and like i'm going to lock my phone in like a a safe and not check the internet ever like i don't have the ability to do that and at this point i think we've all kind of created a certain level of dependency on the internet probably even social media to a certain degree as well. So I always wonder how can I offset that in a way that's healthy, but also like realistic. And then too, another thing I think about is the fact that I think this whole focus thing, of course, there are factors out of our control. Like for instance, if you do have ADHD or other neurodivergencies that like make it already harder for you to focus. But I wonder as people who work in a field that requires you to solve problems that can be difficult and require a lot of mental energy. I feel like this is a problem that really affects us in tech. But one thing I think for instance like very early on in the the tech journey for some people I think learning how to code can be so difficult because it does require you to take the time to like sometimes take an hour, 2 hours, 3 hours to like finish a project or solve a problem or whatever. And sometimes if you don't get that time in in the beginning, it can like offset your progress in learning to code or starting a career in tech altogether. Like, how do you feel like this impacts us as engineers or us as people in tech? And then also, how can we offset the impact to like in a healthy and realistic way? I'm interested in hearing people's opinion for the audience and also for myself.
3: <laughs> I mean, I think the way our working lives are in tech are structured is designed to steal attention, Right. Emails and chat programs. You know, you don't have the in person shoulder taps as much anymore, but it's a constant stream of red dots on applications. And
1: meanwhile, your phone is pushing through like seven notifications about the weather and the stocks and a new show where it has a new episode.
0: And you're
3: just and, you constantly know. context switching, which yeah, steals time I from you. I
0: personally got rid of certain social media apps on my phone um, just because I've found myself looking at them too much and disabled most notifications. And then also on my home screen, I have the screen time widget that comes built into iPhone. And so if I see that my screen yeah. time is is getting to be like more than three hours a day, that's when I'm just, what if I open my phone and see that, I'm like, maybe I should stop. And, and so that's, <laughs> that is my attempt at a mm-hmm. habit to try to look at my phone less, but we'll see how that goes.
1: I wonder if we're like, the generation that you know was around when social media quote unquote sort of hit the scene and now we're sort of coming to grips with like it's it's like externalities you know like oh like burning coal works really well but also it makes the air really polluted and like social media is super fun and a great way to meet people but it's also kind of like mm-hmm. addictive and can have negative emotional or you know attentional effects and so i guess i'm really curious yeah about like people who come behind us and what their take on social media will be, right? Like a teenager now who goes in, kind of knows from articles and other things like that Instagram could be bad. Like it's good, it's fun, but it also could be bad. Like when I first got Facebook in college, we were just like, what is this thing? You know, we don't know what this is. And then, you know, it kind of swept over us. I wonder if people are going to like go into it more eyes wide open. And then, yeah, like, you know, we were just saying like, figure out ways to preserve some attention or some privacy or something.
2: I can speak to that a little bit. I think I have a sister, she's 16 and I've been on certain sides of the internet where there are like younger people, not like in a weird way, but like,
1: (laughs) Oh my God, that's so
0: weird. I get down (laughs) with the youths.
1: (laughs) 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 You're younger. I mean, you're significantly younger than Ryan and I are too. So when I say like my generation. I'm yeah.
2: yeah, I'm technically like I'm early Gen Z. So I feel like I'm a part of the Gen Z like generation where I still remember yeah. what it was like before social media and stuff like that. But there are there are a lot who don't who don't remember what it was like before social media. And so I actually think that because you grow up at this point, there are kids who were iPad kids who are now like teenagers. yeah.
1: All right, let's move on to another one of our topics. So I saw a tweet that I thought was pretty interesting, and it led me to an article and said, again, if you have not read this essay from 1995, you're not equipped to understand the world we have built and are still building. And I guess the thing to me that was interesting about this, and which ties in some of the stuff we were just talking about, is a place where exuberant optimism and techno-futurism is kind of almost like a religion and being at the forefront of like, you know, sort of prophesizing what's going to happen or talking about what the technology will, how it will improve the world turns you into sort of a celebrity almost. I mean, you, sometimes you have to back that up with real technical progress, but for a long time, thanks to Moore's law, California was a place that like was able to make good on those promises, you know? And I think like the other side of the coin there is something like Theranos, right? Where Elizabeth Holmes was just convicted, you know, she wanted to create something great i I'm not inside of her mind. I don't know like how much of it is like she's a sociopath and how much of it is like she just wanted to like sort of fake it till you make it. But you know she got all the way to a ten billion dollar company and laboratories and Walmart's around you know different states taking people's blood with something that didn't work at all it didn't it did not function in the slightest. you know, so you can be on the cover of fortune and be worth $10 billion in California if you just like believe in the dream enough and wear a black turtleneck <laughs> like Steve Jobs and like go into the room and talk to the investors. with I'm going to change the world.
0: Ben is literally dressed like uh, Steve that's Jobs. It's not my fault. Right
1: I'm just now. a bald guy with glasses. Whenever I wear a black turtleneck, this happens. Yeah. And
0: a turtleneck. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, Ryan, as someone who grew up there, I'd like to get your take on this. And also, I feel like, I don't want to like take us too far in the conversation, but I also feel like maybe Silicon Valley is like, becoming less the center of gravity these days, or I don't know, like something about that seems to have changed to me over the last yeah. five years. But So
3: the, the world I grew up in San Francisco was very much a counterculture world with like early hustle culture. It was outlaws and people who were there for freedom and ex hippies. They were like, do your thing, man. And sometimes their thing was like trying to sell this, this high chair that maybe they didn't believe in, or designing little electronic thing for boats, but other times it was, you know, ex Green Berets smuggling cocaine in a crankcase of their motorcycle, right? Like it was this free-for-all culture. And I think the tech industry being a brand new industry was free-for-all and it invited these outlaws and freedom thinkers and people who are just like, didn't fit anywhere else. They could build their own world with computers.
2: I never thought about it like that.
3: There is a huge amount of libertarianism, and a lot of that libertarianism grows out of a lot of the counterculture stuff. Yeah. I think people were less interested in money back then, but the new libertarianism is definitely like some money involved. Where
1: this intersects with sort of the developer world is that venture capital and software developers, hustle culture, and like, you know, dream big. That... Is kind of the stuff that defined so much of first 1990 to the dot com bust, although that wasn't all necessarily in Silicon Valley, but then definitely from like 2000 on, you know, the Google, the YouTube, the Facebook, the Twitter, like it just felt like the center of the world was Silicon Valley and this mixture of people who wrote code and could build the stuff and people who would give money. And then those products became global in a way that I even, you know, in the dot-com days it wasn't like, you know, we got to a scale of three billion people a day use Facebook. That's just like new, you know, just we never had it before. And so they kind of shaped the world in a big way. But now it feels like we're on a backlash against that in a way. Like people are a bit turned off by social media or by all the data harvesting and privacy invasion. Well, at least web people seem into the idea. I don't know everybody, but like a moving back towards decentralization and I think that's making the, smaller communities.
3: The the rise again of the techno utopianism, mm-hmm. right? Where you're like, oh, decentralization will be the thing that saves us. After all these other things did not save us. There's still a utopian ideal, and when each utopia fails, you're like, well, it's, we didn't have this one thing. That's the one thing we needed to make it a real utopia.
2: I think what we're seeing happening, too, is kind of like what we were talking about with social media, how like at first it was just new and nobody knew what it really was or what the implications of it would be. And we're at a point now where social media has been around long enough for us to see like "Mm, this has been bad for people in society in general in a lot of ways although there are some legitimate benefits and i think we're the seeing the same thing in general with like just tech as a whole a lot of these tech companies and the products they produce have been really helpful but like you said like the the privacy issues the data breaches all that kind of stuff has like we're seeing the implications of that now and it's like kind of yucky <laughs> and i think a lot of people are like this part of the whole right. ecosystem is not what we wanted. How do we change right. that? And like I think that kind of hopefulness is admirable, and I do understand like why people want to grab for the decentralized web thing and why that seems like it would work. I hope that it will, but I do think there are some things that I've seen about that whole side of things that make me kind of like I don't know if this is just like a like a utopia that we're just dreaming of or if this is how it's actually right. gonna play out yeah. especially when you add the finance thing into into the mix as well because like you said before yeah the old decentralized web wasn't as focused on money as the new decentralized web is yeah is i
1: saw a very funny thing the other day that was like I'm old enough to remember when the web was decentralized because it was just like a bunch of universities, like, <laughs> like it was like it wasn't all you know one big node. You know, it wasn't so long ago. That's like the whole reason we built the web, right? Was to like survive the nuclear attack because it was all decentralized. But Cassidy, I'd like to get your thought on this. I guess like yeah, when I think back to like the Intel days and you know the rise of you know big tech companies and stuff, it didn't feel like there was a backlash internally. Maybe with Microsoft, there were people who like thought it got too big and it was a monopoly, but like the people who leave, they become whistleblowers. That to me feels new. Like the industry is sort of turning around on itself and people sort of saying like, we don't want to build this kind of thing anymore. Like, or what I don't feel comfortable with what I'm building. That to me seems new. And that was what I thought was interesting about this story. It was like so much of what we, right now I'm talking to you on an, you know, an Apple laptop and a a Google browser and a, you know, like my whole life is like run through a couple of companies out of Silicon Valley, but you know, maybe that ideology in some way has like reached some of its limits or. I
0: think the ideologies were there and then people were just like, okay, well now we have to win Mm -hmm. and keep Mm. people's Mm. attention and keep people around and stuff. And this ties back to the original article too, where there are companies out there, probably most social media companies that track your scrolling speed. That's something that's so minor, but they tailor your feeds to how fast you scroll past certain posts and so th- suddenly you're seeing things that you were more slowly looking at and you're just like oh well that's weird i i guess this is interesting and and there you go and, and everybody is trying to compete for your time and i think it's far past these ideologies of changing the world now and now it's just a how can we win by keeping as many people in our Circle in our pockets, right? As
1: possible. Yeah, you know, and all right, I'm going to bring it all to a close because you brought it back to your attention. One thing that is really funny this is such a devious company store tactic. So, my wife quit social media as a, like a New Year's resolution, she decided she was done. And the thing that drove her off was she kept getting ads for ADHD help. So, sort of like, oh, <laughs> you, like you've created the problem and now, you're showing me all these <laughs> ADHD products because it's like, well, obviously, I have it, like you know, I have it. You see me scrolling yeah. here. And so, I thought that was a funny little thing that was like the straw that. Broke the camel's back. Yeah. Oh. I thought that would be funnier, but I guess it's just <laughs> depressing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: It's okay. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Yeah. I also never thought of it in the way that you described it, Cassidy, at this point. Like, it started out maybe as something good, but now it's like, what's the dirtiest way we can, like, keep everyone's attention? Right. Ethics aside, how, what can we do to keep you using our app or our whatever yeah. longer than everyone else? So, ooh.
1: All right. I'm going to share a few fun links as we head out. These came from the Glitch year in review. I thought they were very good. This is P5, which if you're ever interested in creating motion graphics or animations and stuff for web, this is a series of really beautiful and well done demos you can check out and we'll teach you about P5.js. And then this one is pretty brilliant uh, generative art. It is a British food name generator and you click it and it tells you the name of a made up. British food and the made up ingredients. And it is very, I find it very believable. <laughs> and I even ran it by a British person and they said, true.
0: I was going to say, there's no way that these are fake.
1: <laughs> they seem too true, right? Gym for jelly, corget and bone, short bubble, dried and baked chicken roll. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, y'all. It is that time of the show. I will shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge. Thank you to Urbano, JVR awarded 10 hours ago for coming on here and helping to answer a question, save it from the dustbin of obscurity. What is the difference between MVN Verify versus MVN Test? We can tell you the answer. If you like, we'll put it in the show notes. I am Ben Popper. I'm the Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper, although I tend to use social media a lot less than I used to. But you can also email us, podcast at Stack Overflow, and I will try to respond to those. We don't get so many these days that it can't be one-on-one, Maybe someday it will be, but these days, if you write to that email address, I will respond to you.
3: And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. I am uh, actually on Twitter at Arthur Donovan. And if you have a great idea for a blog post, email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com.
2: I'm Sierra Ford. I'm a developer advocate at Apollo GraphQL. Hopefully this year I'll get to the point where I won't be on social media as much. But if you're interested in seeing me outside of the podcast, I spend way too much time on Twitter. My username there is at Ciorio. That's C E E O R E O underscore.
0: My name is Cassidy Williams. I have a new job, head of developer experience and education at Remote. And you can find me at Cassidoo, C A S S I D O O on most things. Very
1: cool, Cassidy, What is Remote?
0: Remote is a way to Hire people anywhere in the world. Ooh, and it oh. handles legal stuff. It handles payroll. It handles all kinds of cool things. Cool. And I'm going to be working with them on building out education for low income communities and people who don't have access to certain tools to be able to get into the tech industry and get remote jobs. Nice. Very cool. Exciting. All
1: right. Well, we'll have to talk more about yeah. that in a future episode. Sounds interesting. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.